You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. Today, my guest is Derek Malsby Jr., a senior associate with Frost Brown in their data, digital assets, and technology practice group, corporate law practice group, and intellectual property group. Derek serves as a business advisor and corporate transactional lawyers to startups, small to mid-sized businesses, and Fortune 50 companies. Derek boasts a wide range of experience from commercial transactions and business advisement for startups and small businesses to serving as privacy counsel for institutional clients to mergers and acquisitions throughout the United States. Drawing from a diverse business and legal background, Derek is dedicated to helping companies and communities grow intelligently and provides clients with effective and efficient solutions to challenging problems. Welcome, Derek. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have you here today, too, because we're going to talk everything about startup companies and founders. So we have a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. And as I mentioned, Eric, you work with a lot of startup companies and founders that are spun out of universities. Can you tell us about some of the work you do and some of the universities and or companies you work with? Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, I- I'm going to speak in a bit of generalities here just because, you know, I, it's not necessarily polite um, and sometimes can you know, breach confidentiality if I don't have uh, the proper permissions to talk about the specific entities that I work with and and how I work with them. But but I get the opportunity to work with universities uh, sort of in the, the Midwest and Mid-Atlantic um, regions. So thinking Western Pennsylvania, the DMV area, uh, Kentucky, Ohio, um, and, you know, throughout that, that region. And the, the, the university spinouts kind of range, um, you know, in terms of the technology and the innovation in, in the industry. But I think the thing that I love the most is that, you know, the professors or potentially, you know, students that are working on these projects and that are um, attacking the innovation in what, whichever industry that they've, they've, they've decided upon, uh, they all have similar needs, and and those needs be kind of bore down to the corporate side of things, and and how to you know start a company, how to uh, you know in, ensure that you're able to to run the company in a legally compliant manner, um, you know how do you enter into agreements and and, and raise money. Uh, and then also, you know, how do you make sure you're obliging upon the the license agreement that you have with your university? Now, I'm curious, Derek, you know, working with universities like you do, can you talk a little bit about what tech transfer offices can do to help their founders get their startups up and running in the best position possible? Yes, yes. The, the best tech transfer offices that I work with uh, bring the most resources that they can to uh their, you know, entrepreneurs, their their professors, their 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 students, you know, the the, the folks 
that are uh, going to be attempting to spin out this venture and carry it on to success. And when I talk about resources, you know, I mean resources and in, in, in all that it looks like and the education and all that it looks like. So for for my perspective, it's it's that legal the legal resources and education, but it could also be marketing. It it could also be folks that have uh, experience in fundraising and understanding what it takes to do that. Could be folks to help them with understand what grants are out there for themselves, et cetera, and so forth. And so I think when you really look at what can a tech transfer office do, it's it's just setting that company up for success by giving them as much information as possible, uh, introducing them and providing them with the, the the resources that they need and the introductions that they need to, to go on and be successful and run a company. Uh, for, for some of these folks, and I mean, for a lot of these folks, this is the first time they've ever stepped out uh, to, to, to do their own venture. So I think it's really important that, you know, they have sort of a one-stop shop and, and uh, sort of a, a business shaman, if you will, uh, guiding them along the way. Yeah, it's kind of like learning a new language and a lot of new languages, because like you mentioned marketing and then, you know, if you're, you know, getting funding and, and a whole bunch of other things. So you, there's a steep learning curve. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the basic legal principles you think every founder should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, I gotta, I gotta say, uh, the folks at the folks at Prosper and Todd would be happy with me saying, you know, none <laughs> of this is legal advice. Um, and you know, you should, if you're listening to this, you should 100% uh, reach out to legal counsel before you uh, do anything um, in which we're talking about on this podcast. But I think some of the basic legal principles are, you know, to start formation and understanding what entity structure you want to have and why you want to have it. And so what, I, what I'm meeting with um, founding teams, I oftentimes start with what are your goals? You know, what are you trying to do? Is this a is this a social impact company? And are you trying to cause a greater good? Um, you know, are you going to look for, uh, you know, investment from traditional venture capitalists? Do you believe that there is a way to just grant fund your, your innovation and get it, you know, commercialized and into the hands of the consumers? Uh, you know, is there potential partnerships with governments um, that you could look into that would help, uh, you know, get your product commercialized and, and fund it? There's so many different options out there. And so understanding those goals and understanding the vision of the founding team is what helps guide that initial process. And sometimes I meet founding teams and, and a part of the coaching is really, I don't think you all have sat down and thought about, thought through this enough to understand where you want to go. Then if you don't understand where you want to go, I'm not going to waste your time or your money by charging you for something that you may not need or that you know may not serve you in getting to your goals. And so once we've identified those goals, uh, let's say, for instance, it's a founding team that has a robotics, um, you know, technology uh, and innovate and wants to innovate in manufacturing the industry. Uh, and they are looking to raise, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars um, in, in VC funding, uh, as well as some grant funding to help commercialize their innovation and to go to to go to go forward as a company, well, that's 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 great. So I know that 
more than likely they'll they'll need to be a Delaware C court, uh, and and their structure will will be set up as such, and we'll make sure that the filings are done appropriately, that they have all the proper corporate governance documents, their stockholder agreement, their corporate bylaws, their authorizing and founding resolutions. Uh, and then we'll also make sure that they have the agreements outside of the stockholder agreement between themselves. We'll also make sure that they have, you know, IP assignments amongst themselves and and, and other things to ensure that the company owns all the IP and owns and, and is able to go forward in raising funding and, and be set up appropriately and have all the proper protections in place. But if it's a social impact company that has an innovation that is focused maybe more of like a GovTech solution, and there's a lot of grant funding out there that the founding team believes that they can go and get, uh, and, and they don't really see themselves needing to raise from venture capital firms, then an LLC uh, or, or, or another form uh, of an entity uh, may be what's best for them, right? I, I think in that regard, I'd I'd maybe suggest an LLC, and they could go that they could go forward uh, under under that corporate entity, and they would need the things under that corporate entity, you know, such as uh, an operating agreement and you know certain uh, resolutions, and also they will still need IP assignments and and all the things to make sure the company is protected and able to continue forward uh, without you know any harm from anybody from the founding team um, having a change in circumstances and things like that. And so once you get through that beginning part and you have the entity formed and you have your founder documents in place, um, those IP assignments and you know the, the, the equity the equity agreements between the company and the founders, then you start to think about other basic box, which is external. Um, you know, I, I call that 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 initial part internal legal, you know, building blocks. Then you have the external, and that's you know, if if you're going to use a third party developer, or if you're going to use a third party marketing um, firm, or you know, in, investors, if you're going to take angel investment, well. All of these things need to have agreements in place. Uh, unfortunately, I, I have founders that come to me all the time and they say, hey, I have such and such developing out my mobile app or developing out my technology. And I ask, well, where's the service agreement that has the IP trans that has the IP assignment in it and has you know the independent contractor status provision in it and all those other protections. And they say, oh, I just have this scope of work that I signed. And the scope of work obviously doesn't have any of those things, right? And so, you know, hopefully and usually the the service provider is also just an entrepreneur who doesn't have maybe the proper legal team on their side. There's no actual harm or foul being done and they're willing to, to sign something and continue on the work. But sometimes that's that's not what happens, and and that's a huge liability, right? And so it's just making sure that you know you're you're papering and you're protecting um, your company and yourself from from those third parties, those external parties, uh, you know, appropriately. And I think if you break it down and you think about the internal and the external, it it, it becomes pretty simple, and it seems, you know, not that hard, but. These these founders are wearing so many hats, and especially with the university spinouts, some of these folks still have uh, you know course loads, day jobs, and, yeah, in teaching, right, and yeah, teaching requirements. Definitely. So they're wearing they're wearing so many hats. They're trying to uh, 
move their company forward and, and they're doing the best they can. And I think that comes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is it's just making sure as a tech transfer office that you've provided these folks with resources to be successful and you put the you know proper things in place uh, for them to lean on certain resources and certain guidance to, to know what to do and not feel overwhelmed and not make simple mistakes uh, that, that can be easily avoided. Yeah, and I really like the way you described it, Derek, of internal legal building blocks and external legal building blocks, because I, I think that really makes it very um, clear to kind of understand them. And I'm curious, um, with all the work that you've done with founders, founding teams and startups, you know, obviously there are legal challenges um, that are associated with that. Can you talk about some of the common legal mistake you've seen among founders and founding teams and startups and how they can avoid them? Yeah. So I already kind of touched on, you know, maybe starting the wrong entity. And when I talk about starting the wrong entity, the one that you see the most is a uh, founder, founding team. They will go and they will work with, uh, you know, business attorney that they know or or in town or something along those lines. And the business attorney is giving them the proper advice for a small business, but not for a venture backed startup because the business attorney doesn't understand, you know, that the, the nuances of a venture backed startup. Right. And they say to them, well, Oh, it's just, a, it's just you, you know, you two uh, as co-founders, I really think from a tax standpoint, and you know, from a from a business standpoint, it makes sense for you to be a limited liability company, an LLC. Well, that's fine, and everything's fine, and they're moving on forward just fine until they go to raise money from a from a from a venture capital firm, and the VC firm tells them, "Well, you have to convert," and they go, "Oh." This is maybe the first they're hearing of it, or they've been hearing people say that it, you know, accelerators or pitch competitions or whatever they've been doing as they get more involved in the ecosystem. And then they get to a point where they realize, okay, we were set up, we were set up the, for the wrong purpose, right? It goes back to that understanding your goals and your purpose. We were set up for the wrong purpose. We cannot achieve this goal without being a Delaware C Corp. And so then, you know, they come to a person like myself who then converts their company and sets their company up for what they need it to be to then take to then go and, and raise that money from from traditional venture capital firms uh, to keep within that uh, example you have these two co-founders who were set up as an LLC and they didn't enter into IP assignments and let's also say they didn't enter into you know founder agreements such as you know how the founder is going to get their equity uh, from the company. And one of those co-founders, not being malicious, has a change of circumstances, uh, you know, a new job across the country, uh, you know, something happens in their family, such as you know, a new a birth of a new child or something along those lines, and they cannot meet the requirements of a co-founder anymore. But they also don't want to give up their equity, and they become difficult to work with. Well, now what has happened is, you know, a year or two years into uh, building your, your your product, you have a huge liability in a co-founder that's, you know, holding equity that is dead, dead cap space on, on you know, dead space on your cap table. Uh, and, and also, 
is a liability in terms of they could just walk away and start their own company with the same IP because they haven't executed uh, you know, an IP assignment, an IP transfer. They've just been developing the IP, developing the marketing, developing the business model uh, with you. But there's there's not there's no paper between them and the company that says who owns the IP. Now, the other piece of this is that the IP is being licensed to you from the university, right? Um, and so, you know, there's there's a level of issue that comes into your liability that you may have back to your university in terms of um, having this, this co-founder uh, in that circumstance. And so it creates a mess of issues, I guess, is the, is the answer to say here. And I think in trying to just get rid of these issues, it goes back to resources, it goes back to education, and it goes back to, you know, getting the right advisement as early as possible to make sure that these issues don't arise and that all these things are put in place early on uh, because if you don't know, you know, founders don't know what they don't know. And this is, you know, a, a world of nuances and details and a bunch of documents that seem meaningless and useless at the time. But once you need it and you don't have it, it's too late. Uh, and you put yourself in a, in a difficult situation and you put yourself potentially at the, uh, you know, liberty of someone else. And I think, you know, you made a great point about getting that legal advice early in. And I think that's a great segue to what I wanted to ask you, because I know from talking with you that one of the services you provide is as a general counsel for startups, which I think a lot of startups don't think that they need. But I think it's a, a great way to avoid some of these mistakes that you were just mentioning. And I'm sure, you know, you've done this for a number of startups. You've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. And why don't we start off talking a little bit about some of the good things that you've seen in terms of best practices that you've seen startups um, uh, develop and how they've successfully navigated the first five years after founding. So basically, what have you seen that startups have have done well? Yeah, yeah, I think I think organization organization. Uh, I also think that communication and delegation. So the the, the founders that I seen succeed have an immense level of all three of those things so when you look at organization they they know exactly where they want to go they have it planned out mapped out they are they're revisiting their strategy and they are then delegating uh you know pieces of that strategy to their team to their team members which then requires an immense uh, you know, level of communication. All of this is, you know, str strategic operations. And that's something that all founders don't necessarily thrive at. And so I think, you know, another piece of it is for founding teams to understand the strengths of their co-founders and to lean into those strengths and where there are holes and where there are gaps, work with um, the re, you know the the folks in their tech transfer office or the other folks in their ecosystem to help fill those gaps or to help you know learn about those gaps and you know, put the put the proper people there or you know begin to look for the proper resources that could help supplement um, those those gaps understanding that a lot of these companies are going to be cash strapped up front and can't just you know hire and build teams at at will so. That, that to me 
is a, is a major differentiator, uh, more so than the innovation, right? Uh, have this conversation all the time. I think being able to be a, a, an incredible founder is more important than having necessarily an incredible technology sometimes because it, the founder isn't doing things the right way and isn't able to tell the story of the company, uh, then nobody will know how great the technology is. So, you know, I think you see a lot, you see great founders and great founding teams have gr amazing success with innovation and technology that's maybe not that great, right? Or, or, or not that cutting edge or um, something that you wouldn't expect to be, uh, you know, as, as big of a hit or, or have as much, uh, you know, investment into it. And then you see companies that have these amazing technologies and, you know, you're like, how is this not being invested in more? Or how is this, you know, how is this not blowing up? And you kind of can maybe tail that back to there being a deficiency from an operations side or, or you know, marketing side or the strategic uh, plan of the company. And that comes back to, you know, the, the founders have these deficiencies, you know, aren't maybe communicating well, uh, are not, you know, organized or not planning and executing on their plan in a way that uh, is, is setting them up for that success. Let's move on to the bad and ugly, um, because I'm sure you've seen a lot of that, too. What are the things you've seen that have killed a startup? Yeah, I think some of the things that kill startups, I've mentioned a, a few earlier, and the, the one earlier that really, uh, I think, kills startups is co-founder, you know, founder disputes. I think that can kill a startup if the proper paperwork isn't in place and, and can cause, you know, major issues when, you know, someone with a lot of equity in a company no longer is an active participant and holds the company hostage uh, via their equity. That is a really tough issue to get around. And if it happens at you know a certain inopportune time, then you know you might not have the the, the financial resources to be able to get yourself out of it if the proper paperwork isn't isn't in place. The other things that can kill startups, you know, outside of just the the founders themselves not wanting to to continue forward is taking on too much money um, and not focusing you know raising more than you're building your product uh, you know eventually you do need to be building your product and you know not building a product is going to uh, eventually you know come to a, it's, good, it's all going to come to a head uh, vice versa you got to have the money. Um, and you have to have the financial resources to build your product. So, you know, companies that aren't raising and, you know, their runway is getting shorter and shorter, uh, that will that will also obviously, you know, kill, kill a startup and, and kill a company. The other piece is obviously, you know, is, is the IP piece. And this falls a bit into what I talked about a little bit earlier with co-founders, but it can be in other realms too. You want to protect your IP. and in protecting your intellectual property, I look at it in two ways, again, internal and external. 
you know, the internal, we talked about the IP assignments that you want to have your founding team members uh, sign. As you grow your your team, as you grow your, you know, your company, you want to make sure as a part of the onboarding process, you have those IP assignments, um, you know, sort of automated. And, and that's, that's the internal sort of soft protection of IP. And externally, you want to do a very similar thing in, in developer agreements. We talked about the third third party um, agreements. You want to make sure you're also protecting that IP. And then you do want to have the proper protections around your brand and around the marks or the technology. So talking about patents and trademarks, and I'm not an IP lawyer. Uh, I work closely with our IP team, but that's something you do want to start to think about early. Um, the patent process takes a long time. Uh, the trademark process does not take as long. However, it's important to think about that early on because sometimes it may require you to change something about your company, uh, specifically if a name of a product or a name of your company is already trademarked in a similar industry or for a similar use that may change your strategy. And so it's good to know that as early on as possible. And if you get too, if you get far along enough and you've already invested so much into that brand and it's actually not a brand that you can maybe utilize in that way, that is something that can be you know, financially straining uh, on, on a company and potentially uh, ruin a company. I have definitely seen that. I mean, it seems like founders and founding teams understand patents and filing, but a lot of times the brand name, the trademark name gets overlooked and they'll start using a product name or trademark uh, as a company name and not do any searching. And that, like you said, comes back to bite them later. And it can be a very expensive undertaking to have to change names or if you get sued. So completely agree with you on that one. Absolutely. So, Derek, I wanted to ask you about investments and potential investors. And I know this is something you've seen a lot of. So for startups that are seeking investment, becoming investment ready, as you know, is really crucial. What advice do you have for startups to put their best foot forward and attract potential investors? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the first thing I would say is a Lauren Hill quote, which is, how are you going to win if you aren't right within? <laughs> Great quote. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, I was I was at Black Tech Week last week, and I, I said that in my in, in my talk and everybody, everybody applauded uh, and <laughs> it took me a while to catch my catch my spacing again. But um, if you aren't set up right, if you aren't ready to go, then you're going to fall apart when you finally get to that point of investment. Now, there are companies and there are founders that investors will work with and early enough on investors will work with you to get to work, get you to help you get to where you need to be. But it also can be a turnoff to investors that you don't have, you know, the proper the proper corporate form or, you know, you don't have the founder documents in place or, you know, there's certain liabilities like developer agreements that don't have you know, the proper IP language and, and so on and so forth. So you, you eventually you do need to be right within and you do have to have everything together. Uh, you're not going to be able to, to, to fake it till you make it per se. The other piece of this is I think understanding 
what you're looking for. And this comes back again to, to goals. You need to know how much money you're raising. Why are you raising that money? You know, what are you going to do with that money? And, and you have to have a clear understanding for that. These are questions and these are things that investors are going to ask. And if you don't have the answers to it, that also can cue to them that maybe you're a little premature and you haven't thought through this yet. Uh, and, and you aren't going to utilize the money in a way that is going to help you be successful. Lastly, and I tell this to all founders, and you know, I want to tell this to tech transfer officers so they can tell this to founders, not all money is good money. And just because you know, an investor is offering you something or, any, you know, whether it's an angel investor or a VC firm, if you don't see these as people that are going to add value to to you, to your company, you, you don't really want their input, uh, you know, you don't you don't value their input, then that might mean to not take that check and to not give them uh, the equity that they would receive in exchange for 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 their investment. Because at the end of the day, you know, your investors are a part of your journey uh, one way or another. And if they're going to become a nuisance or a problem for you or you don't feel as if you want them in the boat with you, then it may be best to, as hard as it is sometimes, say no to that investment. And that's something that I don't think a lot of founders early on um, really, you know, do and that's partially because they need the investment they need the money and there will be decisions at times where you have to take money from people you don't necessarily uh, maybe would have if you if you didn't need the money and i understand that but if you can say no to you know to to money in a circumstance like that where you do not feel comfortable with those investors you don't feel like you want them in the boat with you then that's the that's the best thing for you. And that's the best thing for you to do for your company. Absolutely. I think that's really great advice. And I think that's a good segue to my next question for you, Derek, because you and I are both keenly aware that legal advice is expensive. And many startups think that they can avoid legal costs by doing things themselves, using form agreements and things like that, and drafting uh, their own patent applications or drafting their own agreements. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I, I I come across this a lot, um, and I, I do believe that founding teams are really, really smart. Right? I say to my clients all the time, you are very smart, likely much smarter than I am. But the one thing that I might know a few things about that you don't, and some of my colleagues might know a few things about that you don't, is, is legal work. And... I do understand the attractiveness to try to to do a lot of things by yourself and try to take templates online and inform and, and them to what you need them to be. But here's the issue. You don't know what you don't know. You, there are things in those agreements or things that you're writing that you might think mean something, but they mean something different in a certain context in relation to another provision that's either there or not there um, earlier in the agreement. You know, in the patent process, it's such a long, tedious process, uh, and it truly is hard to get a patent, right? You can be patent pending, but it is hard to get a patent. It's not easy, and it's not cheap, and I understand that. 
but you get the most value out of delegating these tasks to people that can do them well. And so if you're in a position where you can budget for or or find the resources to help you with these items from people that are, you know, trained to do this work, then that's the best use not only of your time but of your of your resources of the, of the company. And it's it's not a good, you know, use of your time and Ultimately, you might end up losing money or spending more money trying to do things yourself to save, you know, a, a certain amount of money. Uh, but I also can appreciate folks that are early on; they don't have the financial resources, and they know that they need to do these things. I can appreciate where they're coming from. Uh, but if you if if you if if you absolutely can do anything where you can pull the financial resources to have legal help as early on as possible, you should do that. Um, that is just the right thing to do, and it'll ensure that you're you're set up for the for the level of success that hopefully you'll you'll end up achieving. Yeah, I completely agree with the comments you just made. Um, I think that's uh, really good advice and. I have seen where it's cost more to correct mistakes versus if it had just been done correctly from the beginning. So Derek, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to ask you, you know, I know diversity, equity, and inclusion is a topic that's very important to you. Can you share your thoughts on the need for more diversity in terms of female and minority founders as well as VCs? Absolutely. The minority innovation ecosystem, it's just, it's it's so important. It's important to me as a as a, as a black attorney. It, and I think that we as a society, we owe it to ourselves to all invest in the minority innovation ecosystem because the, the more that we invest in diverse perspectives, the more that we invest in innovation coming from diverse people, I think the more problems we'll solve collectively. Um, there are problems that are unique to all types of different perspectives. There's innovation that will be impactful uh, to you know, a, a certain e- ecosystem uh, or you know, a certain uh, demographic or population. So I think it's so important that we continue to invest in different voices, uh, in, in different uh, perspectives because of that. And I do believe that it's also important that we have representation at every level of this ecosystem. So whether it's service providers like myself, whether it's in tech transfer offices, whether it's investors, like you said, who are looking for diverse uh, talent and, and innovation, it's important that the entire ecosystem represents uh, the the founders and the ultimately the individuals throughout our country that will be impacted by this innovation. It is growing, but we're not there yet. And we have to continue pushing forward. And it, you know, coming from a conference last week, like Black Tech Week, it's so inspiring to see all of the black and brown faces that were in those rooms and and, and the innovation that folks are working on. But at the same time, it's 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 taking that it's it's taking the inspiration from that and knowing that we need to keep pushing forward we need to keep moving forward and we need to keep investing in that ecosystem to ensure that it only continues to grow and the the statistics around the the dollar amount that 
black, brown, LGBTQ plus women led startups uh, continue to rise in terms of the investment dollars they raise and in terms of the successful exits that ultimately occur. Absolutely. Derek, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and advice on startup creation and growth. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was, it was a pleasure. Uh, I really do hope that anybody listening to this can learn something from it. And I pride myself in trying to be as accessible as possible. And if I can ever be uh, of any assistance and, and provide any further education or resources to, to anyone, I would love to do so. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.